brand over coffee conversations are with different experts and inspiring individuals. They may be different in what they do, but they all share one thing in common. They all create, develop, and nurture brands. These conversations will highlight not only their expertise, but also their experiences. And I hope these could help answer some of your questions and inspire you to build your own brands and take your businesses to greater heights. My name is Andrea Ferry, founder of the Creative Brand Studio and your host for this podcast. When you're ready, let's talk brand over coffee. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brand Over Coffee Conversations. Do you remember what it feels like walking into a well-designed space? Everything just seems right. How it looks, how it feels, and even how it smells. Somehow, it just lures you in and you do not easily forget that experience. Every organization should actually put focus on this because a retail space restaurant, establishment, or office is part of the brand experience. And in today's episode, we talk about design and architecture and their importance in building brands and businesses. And I am thrilled to be joined by a dear friend who's calling in from Paris. Martin Duplantier is an architect, an urban designer. Though his firm is based in France, he jet sets the globe for different design projects that cover from campuses to housing, public facilities, urban design, museums, and offices. Hi, Marta. How are you? How's life in Paris nowadays? Hi, Andrea. Thank you for inviting me for, uh, for this small chat. Well, um, it's freezing cold in Paris, but other than that, it's, uh, let's say, a bit quieter than uh, a few years back. We're waiting for the end of this pandemic for the, the city to open up again. And uh, I'm thrilled also to be able to um, talk about design and about places that we like and we would like them to um, open and be active again. Yeah, okay. So I do know that you are a great and an accomplished architect, but maybe tell us more about what you do and the projects that you're busy with. Oh, well, we do very different things. Um, as you said, you mentioned a few projects from, from museums to, um, to uh, public space, to uh, entire neighborhoods. Um, actually, the intellectual um, openness of, of the projects that, that make us actually do them and design them. As an example, we've been uh, designing the, the city center of uh, Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. It's a, a, a park of two kilometer long park across uh, actually a few of the main streets of Saigon. And you have underneath uh, three new um, metro lines that are interconnecting, plus a large retail space over four stories and a bus station, a large central bus station also underneath. So uh, we make space for nature. We make space for um, mixed use, also um, kind of, you know, between infrastructure, retail spaces, let's say cultural spaces as well, because we have some in this cluster, and then also informal spaces. There's a major market right at the corner, and so we uh, try to make space for for the market to uh, uh, maybe sometimes extend and kind of melt with the with the large park of, of Saigon. So it's that kind of projects is very interesting for us because we connect the different dimensions, landscape, architecture, urban, 
technical as well. Um, and all of that in the perspective of using less carbon and uh, making a, a more uh, sustainable environment for, for everyone. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm sure we'll talk more about these projects because today we will really talk about design and architecture and all things beautiful. And I'm really excited to speak with you because these uh, topics you're really an expert on, right? So, But before we start, Marta, why do you think should brands and businesses put importance on the design and architecture of their physical spaces? Over the last decades, from, let's say more local brands to really global brands. And these global brands did a, a direct translation of their identity on a global scale. And that meant copy-pasting uh, mostly uh, kind of their first shop in the retail industry. If you take McDonald's, for example, every one of us knows exactly what a McDonald looked like with this um, stupid roof and, uh, you know, this inelegant kind of architecture. And you could see it in every single city in the U.S. You can see it in every single city in, in Europe, etc. And And this kind of disconnected the brand and its context, the brand and its values or its meaning. And so after this massive globalization came the time for a much more delicate and meaningful uh, development of brands. And uh, we know some of them where actually form and function express more than just the appeal for clients. Meaning if you do a bling bling kind of design, well, what does it mean? Does it mean that your only value is to, to show off? Or does it mean that you do, I don't know, you, you like brass and gold? Or what does that mean? And actually the meaningfulness of spaces and of design is actually something that has come over the last years as one of the main interests in design. We were talking previously of a brand like Aesop that everyone knows as well. And this is where meaning and design actually connect. Design is actually different in every retail space, right? Every shop has its own designer and its own design. And it always expresses a sense of values and a sense of meaning. And I think the generations that are coming are looking for meaningful spaces. And uh, it's not a direct translation of, okay, ASAP is for beauty, so we should make a beautiful shop. No, the connection is between authentic uh, beauty to authentic design, which actually creates beauty as well. And all of that is coherent and comprehensive, and uh, it makes more sense. So... Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, the brand is all about being clean, thoughtful, using the mm -hmm. finest quality, attention to detail, uh, sensory pleasure. And that we see and feel and smell even the moment we step into their stores, right? It's like the brand breathes into the retail space, right? So mm -hmm. you can really see that connection of the brand personality that they're trying to create 
and experience that when you step into their retail space. I even read in Japan, they took this old Japanese traditional townhouse and then they turned it into, into an Aesop store. And it does not feel and look contrived because they really kind of like maintain the, the, you know, the original atmosphere of the property yet weave into it the Aesop brand. So it's really interesting. And I know that they work with local architects and designers, right? Um, in yeah. every country that they're in. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's um, this global yeah. global development. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you call it? Like a global as well, like like a global brand, but executed locally, something like that? Yeah, well that's I think that's what a lot of designers try to uh, to achieve. Yeah, to to take the identity from the place, from the context, and to uh, revisit it, reinvent it. And uh, yeah, uh, so it's 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 definitely something very, very interesting to work on. And I wish more brands would actually uh, activate this dimension, this local dimension. Mm. Some people may say also, Martin, right? Oh, it's just a space. A space is a space. You know, just try to make it look beautiful and that's it. Or if it's functional, it serves its purpose as a retail store, as a restaurant, that's it. But you're correct. If we look at strong brands with successful businesses, we could see that they really do put a lot of focus and emphasis on their physical spaces, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. a retail space or an office. And I think one really good example, of course, it, it's a huge brand, but Apple really does a good job as well, I think. Um, the brand is all about pushing boundaries, questioning status quo. And we see that with their products, but now we've also been seeing it with their stores, right? We see it with their office. Uh, Instead of just having like a big block of building, uh, their headquarters is this, uh, um, to to kind of like, yeah, (laughs) circle. Yeah, so it's really like, yeah, yeah, it's like this round shape, right? And they just opened a retail space in Singapore, which is like the first floating Apple store in the world. So they positioned it in the Marina Bay Sands. So again, you know, it goes back to it being a brand that is pushing boundaries, right? Questioning status quo. And that goes even down to the details of their spaces, whether it's their office or their store. Yeah, and with also with all the, the the critical points of each brand, you you were talking about Apple um, in terms of environmental, you know, friendly, um, let's say uh, goals. It's not. I mean, it it could be critical, and uh, actually, their retail shops are also on the same level. They, it's not that local. It's more that they try to do uh, every in every shop to create some kind of an experience, a customer experience for every shop so that you'd like to visit the shop, but you know exactly what you're going to get. You know, you know, the iPhones, you know, the, um, the MacBooks, etc. but you just want to visit it because it's a place for experience. And uh, you were right talking about this Singaporean uh, project, which is kind of amazing. On the other hand, uh, they're missing a train, I think, personally, uh, that they should really work on the carbon footprint of their projects and as well of their phones. And this is something, this is probably the the next frontier 
for them to come in the coming years um, because the meaning again the meaning of the brand and the meaning of the spaces that you create belong together and to the next decade and to the next generation so uh, that would be my only uh, maybe critic on Apple's uh, spaces but anyway they're also working with uh, with the best uh, architects and the designers and the details are always amazing and the loop in the silicon valley is also something i'd I'd really love to visit i hope it's a loop and not a and not a donut but uh, (laughs) i think it's like a ring shape like a ring ring shape of some sort yeah i've never been as well but you're correct i think two points like when you mentioned earlier that uh with the apple store they really try to get people to to come in right so Back in the day when you say computer store or phone store, yes, you go in, buy the phone, check it out, and then leave. And then Mm -hmm. comes Apple wherein they kind of like revolutionize this whole computer shop space, Mm -hmm. right? So you go in there, it's like trying to create a community. They hold classes, they hold workshops, you know, they Mm -hmm. have spaces wherein you can tinker with the phone, showcase their products. So it's kind of like really trying to create that local community within that But I think when you mentioned as well of being environmentally conscious, I think uh, that should be the path, right, for every brand right now, because consumers are really also becoming more mindful, right? So these things, I mean, like sustainability has become such a big topic and uh, it's not just with the product that we use, but you brought it up perfectly that it's also about the spaces that are being Mm -hmm. constructed uh, as part of the brand responsibility, so to speak. True. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, talking about the spaces and the the, the fact that actually the Apple Store looks more like a, I don't know, bar or restaurant than actually a computer shop, right? Yeah, and uh, and it makes it makes it a lot more convivial, a lot more. uh, You want to hang out there. You want to want to speak to people. You feel like you're familiar uh, at some point to uh, to the people around. And this is very important for making a space nice to everyone and inclusive. And so. yeah, there's an before Apple Store and there's an after Apple Store. And we see that all the brands kind of follow the trend over there. And um, uh, yeah, let's see uh, what's next and how they uh, how do they manage to come with a, with a broader idea, including this uh, sustainability dimension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've mentioned uh, sustainability, we've mentioned global, we've mentioned, um, you know, this global approach to architecture or design. What other considerations do you think should brands and businesses take note of when they're creating their physical spaces? Well, I think that there's also the social aspect. Um, the fact that the people that you are asking to uh, work in this retail space or uh, the people that, that have contributed to uh, the creation of this space is also something, if they come from uh, you know, uh, social backgrounds, <clears throat> difficult neighborhoods, etc., it will make more meaningful space again, once again. So um, I think socially responsible uh, design and uh, not only design, but also maintenance and also staffing is something that is really coming up. And uh, we see it in more independent stores and shops at the moment. 
but I'm pretty sure it will develop itself in, into uh, bigger brands because there is actually a lot of uh, in, you know inequalities and the wave of this pandemic will definitely change the way that bounds between different social classes have to reconnect at some point. And I think retail has also a, a role to play in this matter. So socially responsible is also for me something definitely important in the coming years. Yeah, yeah that actually leads to my next question. I'm really curious, uh, given our current situation, right? What do you think would be the implications of the pandemic on brands and their spaces? You know, what could be the implications on businesses and the retail spaces or say companies and their working spaces or offices? It's going to be different, of course, different, uh, different consequences. It's more of an acceleration of previous trends that we are uh, looking at and that we are observing at the moment. Remote work, if we talk about um, offices, will definitely take a little bit more space in our agendas, in our weeks. Uh, we've uh, done a few surveys in France. It's about 3% more. So it's not much more. It's basically stable, but it's on the same trend as before. So a little bit, you know, increasing a bit. It's about one and a half to two days per week remote work. So that means that when you're coming to work, actually you are expecting a different experience than just working on your own at home, you know, warm and quiet at home. And then when you get to the office, well, it needs to be much more stimulating. So that means the design of offices has to completely change and offer uh, different experiences, gathering spaces, places for events, for culture, for creation, for, you know, it has to activate within every one of us something else than being in front of your laptop and, uh, you know, checking your emails, etc. So it's not a place for production anymore. It has to be a place for stimulation and for ideas. So, um, that's for office spaces. I think for retail spaces, the, the consequences, the, the heaviest ones will be one, e-trade, I mean e-commerce, how Amazon, etc., will or will not destroy large areas of retails. That also depends on, on how politically this is corrected or this is uh, regulated. Um, this is still a question mark for me because I don't see it clearly. Second, if our retail spaces will manage to be attractive, so we've said in terms of meanings, but also in terms of functions. Today, it's quite crazy, but when I look at restaurants, they're all closed in France, and none of them opens up to do remote work. Most of us, let's say for Paris, for example, we have tiny flats. You know, working from home is not very comfortable. We'd love to go and use this table uh, downstairs in a restaurant. And it's crazy that these spaces are not flexible and uh, don't allow you to come in for a few hours, work there, and then, you know, bounce back home or at the office or whatever. So I think flexibility is also something that will come up. Unfortunately, because of a lot of bankruptcies and a lot of retail spaces and shops that won't exist anymore, we'll have to invent 
new modals. And one of them could be actually this flexible space. And then the third one is we really think that a lot of people, as we mentioned six months ago, you know, will flee away from the cities, live in the countryside, and uh, actually never come back to uh, the downtown areas or once or twice a year. Well, this I'm not sure. And I think the digits that we're looking at now show that there is a certain wave of people leaving, but mostly people tend to stay downtown and, and in major metropolitan areas. So wait and see because the crisis is not over. Um, consequences are still undergoing and I think we can kind of feel what it will be like, but there's still some changes to come. Yeah, but I think you brought up really interesting points like this, the office space for it not to be just like a production space, but really like a space to be stimulated, right? To be inspired. I think for the retail, same with the with the office, I think the wow factor has to be there, right? You need to delight people. Uh, everyone is now, let's just say, spoiled with convenience, whether it's remote working or staying at home, uh, ordering to be delivered to your house, same day delivery even sometimes. Again, the incentive for you to go out and to really like shop again the way you know you did in the past, I think the the shops or the retail spaces have to have that wow factor, right? Mm-hmm. And it cannot just be a transactional space, so to speak. It has to delight the buyers. Sure. But all of that can work only if in terms of prices, they're not completely disconnected from Amazon. You can be delighted and not buy. You know, you can just go there and, and look. And if we want these shops to be sustainable, I mean, to resist in terms of of money, I mean, financially to be feasible, then we need to compensate in some ways. And uh, the fact that, for example, Amazon and, well, all of these uh, E-Trade commerce, they generate about 30% of the traffic in Paris, 30%. Wow. And uh, their huge warehouses are about 40 kilometers, 50 kilometers away from the city. So that means actually they don't pay any, any taxes to use all of these city streets. You know, they create uh, negative externalities, which is noise, which is smoke, which is traffic. And, uh, and they get away from it, you know. So at some point, it doesn't work. I mean, we can do whatever we want. It won't work. The game has to be fair in some ways. And so I do believe that um, in the coming years, if, of course, the citizens want to still have services, places to go, and a livable city, we will have to protect ourselves from these E-Trade models and actually tax them to compensate the fact that what you can get here at the corner of your street is actually about the same price as what you get when you order it. Uh, It's insane to think that you can send back to Amazon about 10 times the same product just because you, uh, I don't know, it doesn't suit you, you don't like it, whatever, 10 times and it's for free. I mean, it's not for free for the society. The society inhales this gas, uh, the streets are full. It, it's not for free. So 
anyway, interesting, interesting yeah, but topic. Very, as what you mentioned, very, very interesting because that that is the reality, right? With Amazon, I think the reason why they're also like very, very successful is because of this customer first mentality, right? And the setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, no questions mm-hmm. asked. You can return anything as what you send for free. And will mm-hmm. refund you. And if you're a customer, of course, like sometimes these things outweigh <laughs> mm-hmm. the other things that you should be conscious about. Like, okay, uh, if I return 10 times, then for sure that would have an impact on the environment. You forget these things, right? So mm-hmm. I think, again, as what you mentioned earlier, there should be a bit of a balance. But the reality is for uh, retail spaces to thrive post-pandemic, I think they also need to be, uh, let's just say, really work harder in delighting the customers and reminding them of the thrill, you know, and the the joy of actually shopping offline, right? So, yeah, okay. So, okay, uh, Marta, you're an architect and you're also doing all these like wonderful projects and things. What would be like, say, your top two tips for brands when they're designing spaces? My two tips would be, one, Make it flexible, make it convivial, make it unlike your competitors, make it different and make it as if the space could be used 24-7 because that means that people will want to stay there if you do manage this. And then second tip is... Uh, do not hesitate to invest in good quality, in good quality and natural materials, uh, because aging with uh, nice materials is always a plus. We always tend to uh, see a lot of plastic, a lot of, uh, you know, just a layer looks like wood or looks like leather and all the rest is not but actually it doesn't age the same way and so you'll you'll end up paying twice three times without having this aging of 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 materials so yeah that would be my two tips and what about if they have limited budget (laughs) (laughs) well well, you, you you know um Nowadays, I don't know in in, uh, in Germany, but in, in, in France and in other countries, we tend to have secondhand platforms with a lot of nice materials. Very cheap. Uh, you can find actually nice wood, nice stones, nice everything in very cheap. So there's no excuse anymore not to use nice natu- natural matu- materials. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and you're even helping the environment (laughs) much, much more, right? Okay, so for my last question, Marta, what has been the biggest lesson you've learned so far working on design projects uh, for businesses and brands all over the world? The biggest lesson I've learned. (laughs) Wow, million dollar question, huh? The lesson I've learned from working overseas is definitely to understand the local culture and understand the dynamics in this culture. Because you can know the culture, you know, the traditional culture, it's something. But if you understand the dynamics of this culture, what really people are craving for, what kind of experience that they, they want to have, etc., then it becomes very interesting. And I remember 
winning an international competition in China in Chongqiaqie National Park. It's a UNESCO national park. And we designed a few bridges and a few pavilions in this wonderful area where uh, the film Avatar was um, recorded. And we understood that actually these Chinese tourists, what they wanted to, to have and to feel was they wanted to have fear fear of the void, the fear of, of uh, this spectacular landscape, the fear of falling down, the fear of... And so we made um, all of our very singular objects based on the experience. Every object has its own or gives a, a proper experience. And so you follow the path and you go through these different objects and in every object you, you, you feel the fear of actually if you're void, but also the spectacular panorama that you can see, etc. So that was a good lesson of how to win a competition by understanding the local culture. Yeah. yeah. Well, you win the competition, but you also win the local businesses and companies, right? When you understand the local culture. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as we end, Marta, I also just want to share my takeaway from our conversation. So in building a strong brand as what we have discussed, every detail must be considered, including how one should experience the brand from the way it looks to how it feels, as, as we've said, even to how it smells. Everything should feel right and be aligned with the brand that you're trying to create. Yes, the retail and offices, uh, spaces are taking a back seat given our situation, but it is important to note that the businesses that will thrive in the end are those that are doing their homework to consider and prepare for the evolving needs of their consumers and employees post the pandemic. And the decisions you will have to make on your physical spaces will not only determine if consumers would want to shop or employees would want to work there, but will ultimately build your brand and grow your business. So on that note, thank you so much, Marta. That was such a wonderful conversation. <laughs> I'm, I always say I am a fan of yours and I'm always inspired by the work that you do and I'm always rooting for your success. So take care, yeah? Thank you, Andrea. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yep. Ciao. If you enjoy listening to Brand Over Coffee Conversations, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Please do not forget to share your reviews and help spread the love on social media by tagging hashtag brandovercoffee. For questions, comments, and topic suggestions, you may reach me on Instagram at andreaa.ferry. Thank you for listening to Brand Over Coffee Conversations.